Hey, good morning, everyone. So great to uh, see you all this morning. We're going to continue our look at uh, Matthew chapter 22 as we think um, for a second week about what our vision is as a church. Last week, um, we thought about loving God with passion. And this week, I'd like to speak to you about loving people on purpose. Um, And really, the big idea, this is where this is going to land, okay? My need to serve is greater than anybody else's need to be served by me. My need to serve others is greater than anybody else's need to be served by me. That's the big idea. That when Jesus says, love your neighbour, that is not a metaphor for something else. He literally means love your neighbour. And we obviously do that in lots of different ways. We do that in our families, in our friendship groups. We do that in our workplaces. You know, our our places of work is probably the primary place where we serve uh, people outside of our immediate families. But we also get to do this as a church together. And the reason we get to do it as a church together is, as we thought about last week, is you, you could summarize what God has asked us to do as a church in Brighton, as we're here to serve our city. We're here to serve our city. And yes, we do that by ourselves, but there's certain things that actually we can do with even more impact as we group together and do them together. And um, Kate and I just like, we're just so blown away. You know, we joined back in September and we're just so grateful that we get to be part of this community. You guys serve this city in such a wonderful way. Like I I was doing some of the maths and there's probably, we're probably meeting the needs and serving people, uh, probably the same number of people outside of the church each week as we are gathering as a community inside on uh, the church to worship on a Sunday. Uh, You know, that's in in discipleship, through looking after uh, children, youth and and students and in the groups. It's through caring for the vulnerable, through Safe Haven that feeds about 300 people a week, runs probation breakfasts and cares for mothers and babies. I'm starting a list again. Um, And there's people who are caring for this building to make it an even better base uh, from which to serve our city. There's so many different things going on. And we're just so grateful. Uh, to be part of this community that's, that's, that's serving the city in such a meaningful and impactful way. And we just want to say thank you uh, and to say keep on going. Um, and the other thing, though, is today is that we're not really going to... That's kind of a bit of the so-how, like how we get together, how we serve our city as a church. Um, and really, at the, at the end of the service, there's on the back there, there's um, 12 opportunities to join a team, there's more teams than that in the church, but those are 12 that immediately have need uh, for more people to join in. So that might be that you've you've just joined the church and you're looking for a place to serve. It might be you've entered into a a new season of life and you're like, oh, actually, I've got a bit more time. It might be, a a lot of people have been saying to us, you know, since the pandemic, they've just been reworking out how their life works and they're trying to find their way back in. And those are, are 12 ways that you can immediately the teams are on the other end of a QR code ready to onboard you and get you uh, joining a team. And really, that's kind of the, the so-how of what we're doing. But today, I want to focus really on the why. Why it is that Jesus says to love people on purpose. Why it is that we can do actually so much more and we can grow as disciples of Jesus in a different way as we seek to work together as a church to serve our city. 
Um, when I was growing up, I had this book called The Heroic Book of Failures. The Heroic Book of Failures. And it was full of all these different kind of stories of all the weird and wonderful ways that humanity has failed. These were kind of the projects like, you know, the crazy adventurous expeditions that never left home. Like the world's tallest skyscrapers that never got past ground level. Uh, and, and the thing with all of these projects is they failed not through lack of vision. They had vision in abundance. They had more vision than they could cope with. What they lacked was systems to see that vision turn into action. In his book, James uh, Atomic Habits, James Clear writes this, we do not rise to our goals, but fall to our systems. We do not rise to our goals, but fall to our systems. It doesn't matter how great the vision is. If you don't have a way, a system of it landing into daily practices, it will never come about. And this is true for all the little projects in life, but it's also true for a whole of our lives. You know, as we seek to live good, holy, fruitful lives, we not only need a big vision, we also need daily practices to see that vision land in our day-to-day. Um, Laurie Santos is a, uh, a cognitive scientist working at Yale, and she runs a course called Psychology and the Good Life. And it's one of the most popular optional courses at Yale, which in itself is a bit weird, right? It's a course on how to be happy, how to have a good life. And so you've got some of the most successful young people in the world who don't quite know how to have a good life. They, they, they're amazing at doing things and they don't quite know why they're doing them and so they go on to her course. And, um, and what her research shows is that we have all these intuitions about what will make us happy. But often these intuitions are misguided. And often these intuitions lead us down dead ends. You, you could think like, you know, money is the obvious one. Like the too long didn't read of the research around money is that money will only make you significantly happier if you live below the poverty line and then it, you get, get some money and it allows you to live above the poverty line. Like you couldn't feed your family and now you can. After that, it does change your happiness, but not in that massive kind of way. So whether it's buying a new phone or booking a holiday or starting a new side hustle, Often what we think will lead to happiness does not. But the other thing her research showed is we we often have a misguided worry as well. And the worry is that contentment will lead us to a place where we are complacent. You know, know, surely we need a bit of anxiety and worry in our life to keep us moving. Surely we need to stress our kids out about their exams so that they'll actually revise. Surely, you know, if we make peace with the world, we'll stop fighting for injustice. You know, we're saved by grace, but surely we need a bit of a scolding every now and again to keep us on track. And again, her research says actually it's completely opposite. It's those who exhibit the most peace and the most joy in their lives who make the most difference Because they don't become complacent. Actually, they end up with more bandwidth with which to lean into life and to make a difference and to care for that which is beyond their immediate needs. So those are the kind of misunderstandings that lead us astray. What leads us towards the life that we're longing for? Well, let's have a look at what Jesus says. This is Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, 
the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Amen. So last time we looked at how Jesus summarises all of the law and the writer Diane Comer summarises Jesus' summary of a summary as to love God with passion and to love people on purpose. Love God with passion, love people on purpose. And if you want a summary of a summary of a summary, you could call it El Guap and El Pop, uh, which don't help you remember, but are quite satisfying uh, to say. And, uh, and the team at the back decided that L-pop stood for lollipop. So if you sign up for a team, uh, you get a lollipop. You get a lollipop even if you don't sign up for a team as well. Um, But also what we see Jesus doing here is he makes sense of the Bible, but he also makes sense of me and he also makes sense of us. You know, to to the original hearers, when Jesus says all the law and the prophets, he's not just talking about writings, he's talking about life. The law and the prophets was everything. It was the, the story, the origin, their identity, the, the behaviour. And, um, and we use this sheet. This sheet is a representation of all the law and the prophets and has some of the uh, opening words of the Hebrew Bible printed on. And um, as I've just demonstrated, it can be quite overwhelming. Life can be overwhelming. The Bible can feel quite overwhelming. And Jesus says you can make sense of God's Word. You can make sense of your life by hanging it on these two things. That each day you hang it on loving God with passion and also loving people on purpose. And as you hang it on those two actions each day, these are the systems to which to order our lives by, the Bible makes a lot more sense and our lives make a lot more sense. And this is essential because, you know, there is so much vision in this room, vision for your children, for your church, for for your country. And, and, you know, that's for our lives. And then there's our vision as well as a church to play our part in the evangelization of the nations, the transformation of society, and the revitalization of the local church. You know, it's an enormous vision, but we do not rise to our goals. We fall to our systems. And yes, God gives us a big vision for our life, but he also gives us small systems by which to see that land in our lives. And it's probably important for us to remember that God's command to go and love comes before his command to go and do. So what does this look like in our daily lives? Well, one of the ways to think about what it should look like is to think about when I get it wrong. Uh, So last week, we talked about loving God with passion. And actually, one of the ways to get it wrong is when we think it's all about that, that it's only to love God with passion. The strange thing is, this is not enough. And as you can see, it's harder to make sense of it. This is me when I read the Bible as if it's just about spiritual things. It's just about me and my relationship with God, or it's just about 
the now uh, and, and the me and not the world and the workplace. And when I read it like that, the Bible doesn't make sense, but also my life doesn't make sense. In the extreme, this is people who love God, but they don't really like people if they're honest. You know, these are the people who have a cause, but they don't necessarily have kindness. They usually have signs. And these are the kind of people that drew the most ire from Jesus. You know, it doesn't make sense to love God with passion and not love people on purpose because he tells us to love your God. Love your God. The key thing is here is to look at, well, who is our God? See, other gods like money or work, they overpromise and underdeliver. You know, they diminish who you are. You know, if you only worship a God like that, first of all, it diminishes you, but it never pushes you out to love your neighbour. You know, if you worship work, you will never stop working. If you worship money, you will never have enough. If you worship relationships, you always end up lonely. But as you worship your God, the God we encounter in Jesus, He's the one who not only transforms our life and receives our worship, but also pushes us out towards the love of our neighbour. He gives us a way. You know, it kind of makes sense. If we're going to be passionate about God, you, you kind of got to be passionate about what He's passionate about, or at least be willing to become passionate about what He's passionate about. What's God passionate about? Well, the first thing is Himself. Within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are glorifying one another. They're enjoying one another. When we worship, we don't start something, we're entering into something. We're joining in to worship. But the crazy thing is, God is also passionate about things that are not God. God is passionate about us. He's passionate about our neighbour. We love our neighbour because God loves our neighbour. Like, think about it, like the Ten Commandments, like God's top 10 of what He wants us to do with our lives or, or, or to structure our lives. The first five are about loving God. The second five are about loving Him. Like that's quite generous, uh, about loving our neighbour, loving other people. That's quite generous. Like, if I was God, all of my top 10 would all be about me. But God is generous. He, he pushes us out towards loving our neighbour. You know, you wouldn't accept it if someone says, I love you but I hate your kids. Like, you wouldn't accept it. And in the same way, it doesn't make sense to say, God, I love you, but I don't love my neighbour. His love compels us out to love what he loves. Another way that it doesn't make sense would be to forget to love God with passion and make it only about loving people on purpose. You know, this is... Um, interpreting Jesus' teaching as if it's only about the here and the now and to forget the eternal. This is to treat the Bible as just a set of principles to take or leave, to have your best life now and forget that it's about a person, a person who wants a relationship with us. Now, this doesn't work because first of all, it's the love of God that will send us out to love people on purpose. It's why Jesus says, that this is the first and greatest commandment. The order matters because priorities matter. 
And we don't always get our priorities right. Like, like before, all those things, you know, money, work, uh, the great gifts, but the horrible gods. They take over our life. They, they, they take everything they can. All other things compete for our love. But God's love is not a zero-sum game. Actually, as you love God, you end up with more love for others. We're told, you know, the second command is like it. In other words, loving your neighbour is not in opposition to loving your God. They're of the same character. You know, because, you know, if we view love as sort of a transactional thing, well, it doesn't add up. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. What's left? Well, nothing. But then he says, go and love your neighbour as yourself. There's something more going on. God is the only God who, as you love him, you end up with more love for your neighbour. It's a bit like Mr. Kumar's tuk-tuk. Um, I don't know if you saw this in the uh, news a few weeks back. Uh, police in the state of Uttar Pradesh in India pulled over a tuk-tuk taxi to discover there are a few more passengers on board than is usually considered best practice. Mark, we've got, we've got the video of it. We're going to count them off. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 people. 27 people. And the crazy thing was, this guy had been pulled over for speeding. I have no idea what battery that thing runs on, but it could probably solve the world's energy crisis. There is room on God's tuk-tuk of love for others way more than you would expect. You have capacity to love way more when you start loving God. When you love God with everything, you'll be surprised about the amount of love that there is left over. The second reason that this wouldn't work is it's, it's not only that God's love pushes us out, it's that God's love sustains that love as well. I, um, I remember as a teenager, um, I was at church and the pastor said that, um, that following Jesus, loving God and loving your neighbour was really hard. And I remember me and some other teenage friends saying, actually, we disagreed. We found it very easy to follow Jesus and very easy to love our neighbour. Oh, if only we had known more of life, of other people and ourselves. If only that teenage clarity had been reality and not just pride. Like loving other people is hard. Loving other people is tricky because other people are tricky. But also more importantly, I am tricky. And we need God's help to sustain that. Because we were created to worship, if we don't worship God, we end up worshipping God people. We take humanity and we raise it up to the place of divinity and then eventually what you idolise, you demonise when it can't live up to the unfair expectations that we've placed on it. That, that's the root cause of a lot of anger and disappointment in our culture. It, the irony of putting people in first place is that you actually lose both. This is the temptation to say, well, God let me down because this isn't working and people have let me down. I'm going to stop loving them. Didn't work. They didn't change as if that was the point all along. Maybe I should just... 
wrap my life all around me. This is the system that says, I am my own and I belong to myself. Now, actually, this is just another way of loving God with passion, but you've kind of put yourself into the place of God and it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense of our lives. It doesn't make sense of God's Word. Now, one way that this sometimes gets justified is we are told to love your neighbour as yourself. So it's a question, you know, do I need to love myself in order to love my neighbour? And in a way, yes, that if you don't love yourself or if you don't see yourself as somebody worthy of love, you will find it harder to love your neighbour. But actually, Jesus changes the motivation for your loving yourself and also the application. First of all, like, you know, the world encourages us to, to, to motivate our self-love in the fact that I am successful and I am spectacular. But what about the days when I'm not successful? And what about the days when I'm not spectacular? Actually, the only safe place to root your value in and worth in is the fact that that is what Jesus says about you. You know, as we've seen with cryptocurrencies or NFTs, like worth is determined by the amount that somebody is willing to pay for something. Worth is determined by the amount somebody is willing to pay for something. And we are told that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's what St. Paul writes, that God loved you and he gave himself for you. That is how much he was willing to pay for you. That is how much you are worth to him. It's a very different reason for seeing yourself as loved. But also the application is quite different as well. Laurie Santos showed us that, you know, we're not very good at loving ourselves and uh, we don't often give ourselves what we need. Um, You know, often... When we're saying, well, how do I love myself? It ends up asking, what's the least I can give? That's what this guy did. He is he, basically an amazing example of minimising. He says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So he's taken the entire story, the narrative of the Bible, and he's reduced it just down to a list of rules. And then he's taken these rules and he's reduced it down to one. And he's basically asking, what's the least loving I can be and still be okay? And Jesus says, all the law, all the prophets, because he doesn't want us to live small lives. He's leading us into living an expansive life, a life that isn't turned inwards on ourselves because that doesn't work, because you were created for community. Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself, in other words, the two are not in conflict in each other, with each other. In fact, they depend on each other. You know, and you desperately need other people. That was one of the great lessons of the pandemic. You know, we do not do well by ourselves. And this goes deep. Like when you're having a conversation with somebody that is meaningful and deep with you, you your breathing will synchronise with them. Even crazy as your heartbeat will synchronise. Something that's completely beyond rational, conscious control. That is how deep our need to live in relationship with other people goes. You know, other people's words can calm us. They can anger us. It even works at a distance. You know, when you get a text that says, I love you, or a text that says, did you lock the door? 
That's probably all you're thinking about now. But, but the idea is that God's words, people's words make an impact. We were created to need other people, to live in community with other people. And our emotional and social viability depends on living in community. And because you need other people, God created a way for that need to be met. He created in us a need to serve others. In fact, after loving God with passion, your greatest need in life is to find a way to take all your talent, to take your time and to land that in a meaningful way of serving other people. You know, this really hit home for me when we, we'd first started and um, we were living just up the road that way. And um, if you come to the 8 a.m. service here, you, you kind of walk in through Brighton at 7 a.m., it, it's kind of like walking through the physical hangover of Brighton Saturday night. Basically, there's a lot of carnage everywhere. There's people kind of just sort of still kind of like sleep on the floor. You're like, yep, they're alive. It's okay. There's people still partying. And, and I just remember one time I was coming just past um, a McDonald's and there was just this guy and he was just completely out of his his like mine. He's completely, he's on a come down, completely smashed. He'd got this drum and bass uh, kind of stereo. He apparently had walked down the London Road at 3am, woken everyone up. He was not everybody's uh, favourite person. But there was nothing you could do for him. Like, he wasn't in such need that he needed an ambulance. He, he, you couldn't really talk to him. Somebody had got him water. And, and it was that moment I was like looking at him thinking, my need to serve him is greater than his need to be served by me. Like, that's a picture of how great my need is to love my neighbour as myself. Every time you see someone in need, it's like an x-ray on your heart revealing what's deep down. And like, this is just who we are as humans. That's before you add the Holy Spirit into the mix, who kind of restores you to factory settings and upgrades you. Like, you know, there's a saying that following Jesus doesn't mean that you can't sin but it means that you just won't enjoy it anymore. Like being filled with the Holy Spirit and then trying to live a selfish life is like brushing your teeth and drinking orange juice. It's possible, but it doesn't taste so good anymore. Like that is what the Holy Spirit is pushing us towards, a life where we take what God has given us and we're learning to use it to love others. Where we're taking all that He's given us and we're, we're learning daily. And the thing is, we won't get it right. But it takes time to learn to love God with passion and to love people on purpose. And it's a stretch. But actually, Jesus kind of knows that. You know, there's then the second question that's like, well, well what if I give too much? What if I overshare? You know, because I just can't stop giving my time and money away. Um, and so Jesus kind of addresses it, not directly, but, it, you know, often we think we need to root it in like self-care. But actually Jesus roots it into humility. He says, look, the, the command to love your neighbour is really local. It's love your neighbour as yourself, not love somebody else's neighbour. You know, it's easy to get angry injustice on other continents, but that's not First, what Jesus asks of us. You know, any digital outrage that does not land in local action but also undermines neighbourly relations is not a solution. In fact, it's part of the world's problems. You know, what's in the scope of your influence? 
what what is actually in your hand. Jesus doesn't say love a cause. He says, love your neighbour. In fact, if in finding for a cause, we end up hating our neighbour, actually then we're not following the way of Jesus. It's local, but it's also sustainable. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He doesn't say love the Lord, you know, your neighbour with your neighbour's strength or Mother Teresa's strength. It's just, where are you at now? Love your neighbour with with what you've got in this moment. And it's also practical. It's love your neighbour as yourself. You know, we already have a model for this. It's not miraculous. He doesn't say love your neighbour as God loves them. He says love them as you love yourself. I love myself in very practical and attainable ways in that I put myself first. I often buy myself chocolate. You know, I'm often more aware of what's going on me than I am thinking about other people. When I um, was in kids' church um, as a child, there was this thing that was both incredibly cringe, but also really profound in a way that only kind of kids' church manages to do sometimes. And we used to sing this song to the tune of Jingle Bells uh, that went like this, J-O-Y, J-O-Y, surely that must mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. And it's, it's incredibly profound because that is, it's so simple. Putting Jesus first and, and then others and then yourself, that's the path to joy. That's, that's a joyful life. Why? Because what well, this is a stretch. This is gonna be hard. Jesus says, look, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And there's always an internal gravity to try and settle for less, to go, well, actually, maybe I, I won't worship God with passion. You know, I'll, I'll worship God with a, you know, a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not gonna be too out there. Or I, I won't love people on purpose. If it happens, it will happen. If it doesn't happen, it, it, it won't happen. And, and we kind of settle for less. But our life makes less sense. As you know, as you're intentional, as you commit to loving people, as you as you go, Jesus, I want to give you the passion that I can. It's a stretch, but suddenly your life makes so much more sense. And this shouldn't surprise us, because the only person who ever did this perfectly ended up on a cross. Jesus, who refused to let go of God and refused to let go of us. In fact, the word there where it says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two. That word hang there is also used elsewhere to describe Jesus being hung on a cross. It will be hard, but what else is there? Who else has lived a life as alive as Jesus? Who else in 33 years of life, of three years of doing stuff with just a small group of friends, changed the world like Jesus did? Yes, it will involve a cross, but whenever Jesus is present, whenever there is a death, there is always a resurrection. And so if it worked for Jesus on the cross, you can be sure it will work for you in whatever situation you find yourself in as you seek to love your neighbour. Love in a fallen world takes the shape of a cross. You know, I think of our our friend Catherine in uh, Malaysia. She's a dentist and um, she has a really successful practice in a great part of the city. But, But the love of God helped us see there were people in the city who could not afford dental work. And so she started a two-day-a-week practice in a poorer part of the city, uh, basically for free or whatever people could pay, because otherwise they couldn't have 
the teeth that they needed to, to live a healthy life. And she'd been doing that for years. And then about four years ago, just before the pandemic, a would-be patient uh, tried to rob her and ended up assaulting her. And, and she was really injured. Took a long time to recover. But at the end of it, she went straight back. I was like, that is what love looks like in a fallen world. It takes the shape of a cross. And you might be thinking, well, then who can do this? And it is a challenge. But the challenge has been unlocked. Because before this is something we do, this is something that has been done for us. Jesus, who came not to abolish the law and the prophets, he, he refused to let go of God. He loved God with all the passion, holding on to all of God's law, living it perfectly. But he also refused to let go of us, no matter how far we walked away and it took him to the cross. And the thing is, Jesus doesn't hold on to us just the day you're saved. He continues to hold on to you all the days of your life. And so even when it's hard in the Holy Spirit, this means that this is no longer just a command. It's also a promise. It's not just you shall love your neighbour. It's you shall love your neighbour. You are going to become a person who is able to love them with everything, with a love that is a bit like what their Father in heaven has for them. And yes, it won't go right every time. Yes, it won't be perfect, but that doesn't matter. You know, our son Cohen is learning to walk. He is constantly falling over. He can't yet run. That doesn't matter. I just love the fact that he's trying to be like his mum and his dad. That's a bit like us with our Father in heaven. It doesn't matter that we can't do this perfectly. It doesn't matter that we find it hard when we enter in voluntary into these situations. God loves it because we're trying to be a little bit like Him in the power of His Spirit. And that delight is sometimes tangible. And that's why the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because as we encounter His joy, that gives us the strength to keep on going. It's all about Jesus. He's the only one who does this perfectly, who refuses to let go of us, who refuses to let go of his father. And if I had the budget and the time and the talent, I could now do a magic trick where I pull this down and behind it is maybe James Stinson in a suit made of all the law and the prophets. But actually we have a better visual illustration in the cross. That is what it looks like to love God with passion and to love people on purpose. But it's not just a cross, because our cross is empty, because this is a cross that will lead to life. And that's what this is about. That is what church is about, that life is love's training ground. And as we seek to love one another, to serve alongside one another, to serve our city, to love our city, that is a place where God grows us and deepens us so that we get to experience more of that joy. Our life makes a lot more sense, but also we become all that he has dreamed for us and imagined for us. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand? We're gonna invite that Holy Spirit that we've spoken about to come and fill us afresh. He's the one who called us into being and he's the one that pushes us out into who we are becoming. And so let's ask him to fill us afresh now. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love what you do and the way that you do it. 
We ask that you come and fill us now. We wait for you.